Amen. Good morning, church family. <clears throat> a little over a decade ago, I was in a time of prayer with God, and I sensed the Lord say, Josh, you know in Exodus 3, when I claim to be the great I am? And I was like, yes, Lord, I remember when you claimed to be the great I am in that bush when you were talking to Moses, and I sensed the Lord say, you know that at no point in history have I ever stopped being the great I am. Meaning, at no point in the history of the world did God ever become the great I was or the great I used to be or the great I will be again one day. God has, is, and will always be the great I am. I need you to do this. I need you to open your Bibles today to the very end. And this may be a challenge for some of you. I need you to open to the end of Matthew, the end of Luke, and the end of John. This is a lot easier for those of you who have physical copies of your Bible with you. It's harder for those of you who may use uh, digital devices, devices for your Bible. But I, wanted, I want you to see today uh, how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit at the end of three of the four Gospels. So we're going to look at Matthew 28, we're going to look at Luke 24, and we're going to look at John chapter 20 here in just a moment. We've moved our worship service. It was going to happen today for the new arrivals to next Sunday. Kind of crafted a new worship experience for this morning. I had a sermon I had barely started to work on for next week. The Lord was very gracious in the last 36 hours to give me a word to preach today. And I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot I'm going to try to cover, but I want this to be really helpful. And I hope that this will be hopeful to you. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to briefly walk us through how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit at the end of the three of the four Gospels. I'm going to talk for just a moment why, especially those of us in Churches of Christ, have sometimes struggled with how to talk about or even how to understand the Holy Spirit alive in our lives and in the church. I'm going to walk you through nine truths and benefits of a relationship and a friendship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to hit those quickly. And then I'm going to talk about three ways from Scripture that we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm going to end by drawing us, inviting us into communion with John chapter 16, verse 14, where Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will glorify me, and I will give to the Spirit what the Spirit needs to make known to you. What Jesus says is the Holy Spirit's function is to glorify Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit needs to give you. As the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. Uh, I want to welcome just a few people today. I know we have more than we usually do online. I know of at least two churches who are not meeting in person today because uh, there are parking lots and roads are, are, are tough, and they don't have adequate ways to have an online service. So they have been encouraged to join us, so we want to welcome all of you who are with us today and remind you we have giving options online. I'm just joking, all right? I'm totally joking. We're grateful that for all of you who are with us. I, I know we also have some visitors in the room today. I want to acknowledge Coach Anderson. He's uh, the basketball coach for Truett and Owen and a number of others. Uh, and Coach is with our kids probably 20 hours a week. And I'm grateful for Coach Anderson. I was on the committee that hired him at Harding Academy. And he's not just here to teach our boys X's and O's. So that's a big part of what he, what he does. He's trying to grow our boys into becoming men who have something to offer to the world. Coach Anderson attends Oak Grove Missionary Baptist Church. Casey and I visited their church on sabbatical. And for the entire time we were there, we were treated like we had been lifelong members in that church. But he's also a part of a church that usually has three-hour worship services. So today, Coach, uh, at the end of 75 minutes, I need Todd to remind you it is not intermission. All right, we're done. But can we welcome Coach Anderson uh, to Sycamore View today? 
I shared this story about four years ago, and it was around this time, uh, it, I, I was flying out to the East Coast to speak at an event the week before everything shut down for COVID. And I was on an airplane with a guy who had never flown on a plane before, and I knew that because he could not figure out how to put his seatbelt on. As we got above the clouds, this kid next to me was an 18-year-old going on a mentoring spring break trip with the college he was a part of. He uh, began, I mean, he was so giddy like a kid because he had never been above the clouds. He had never seen cars from uh, that high. He had never seen people playing in the backyard. And he was so giddy and he was excited and he was telling me about everything he was seeing. And then he began, he, he was almost sick. He, he got nauseous. He was dizzy. And for those of you who don't know me, one of the greatest phobias in my life is throw up. I tell people all the time, I'm not one of these people. If you throw up around me, I throw up. I just despise the throw upper for the rest of my life, all right? That's, that's just uh, it's me. I'm better since I'm a dad, but that's just me. So I began, for, I began bargaining with God in the moment. It's like, God, if you keep this kid from getting sick, I will give half of what I have to the poor. I will only eat Chick-fil-A three days a week. Like, you know how we bargain with God sometimes. And then I was like, you know what? I need to do something. So I handed him that bag, and I was like, that's what this bag is for, but I need you to do what I do. And I'm not exaggerating this at all. I said, I need you to put your head on the back of your seat. So he did. I said, you and me, we're going to take five deep breaths together. You're going to breathe like I breathe. And we took five deep breaths, and he was better. And 30 minutes later, we hit a little turbulence, and he looked at me, and he said, can we do that breathing thing again? And we took a couple of deep breaths together, and the rest of the flight, he was fine. But what was so ironic is I was getting off the plane to speak at an event called Breathe, in which the text in the Bible I was given to preach twice on in two days was from Ezekiel chapter 37, which is a story of dry bones that come back together. And even though they look like they're alive, they're not alive until the breath of God comes into them. So I want you to think about breath just for a moment this morning. And I want to start in John chapter 20. In John 20, Jesus is already, he rose from the dead. And here, I just want to stay on this one slide for just a moment. It says this, after Jesus said this, and what he said was, peace be with you. That's it. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And I want you just to think about that for a moment. Jesus rose from the dead and he had scars in his hands, scars in his side. So when he rose from the dead, he, he still had these scars that existed. And, and, and for, especially since my sister died in 2010, I've reflected on wounds and scars. And I believe when all is made right, when heaven is fully something that we enter into, that we will have scars that we bear, not to grieve us, but to remind us of the faithfulness of God through all the scars we bear in life. Jesus rose from the dead with these scars, and those scars were bearing witness to a God who did not leave him alone and did not, did not leave him dead. So there are scars in his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And I want you to look at what Jesus says. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I know, especially in times like in January, when there are a lot of sicknesses going around, the thought of anybody breathing on us, even God, is something we're like, oh, I don't know, can we find another way to do this? All right, I just want you, I want you to understand Jesus is doing something that God did way back in Genesis. If you go to that next slide, I want you to see it like this. Here's what Jesus does in the moment. What he declares to his disciples is, peace be with you, I am sending you, and I am breathing on you the Holy Spirit. 
What Jesus is doing is Jesus is telling them the peace of God that needs to dwell in your life and the sending of God for you to go into the world to spread the good news of Jesus. The peace of God can't abide inside of you and you can't go out to be the people God is calling you to be unless you receive the breath of God that is breathing the Holy Spirit on your life. It is the Holy Spirit that is coming upon you that allows the peace of God to dwell in you and it also prepares you for the mission of God as you were called to go out into all the world to spread the good news of Jesus. It's a reminder of what God does in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 when he did create Adam and Eve and God breathed the breath of God in them. It's a reminder of Ezekiel chapter 37 with the story of the dry bones that you may look like you're alive, but unless the breath of God is in you, you're not alive. So what John wants people to know when it comes to the end of his gospel is Jesus is working in the world to remind you that there is peace that wants to be on you. There is a mission for you and is dependent upon you receiving the breath of God and the Holy Spirit living in you. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and we've been in this the last two weeks talking about the Great Commission. And just in verse 19, here's what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes today in your Bible or in your notes, this is the first mention of the Trinity in the New Testament. So if anybody ever asks you, where in the New Testament can I find the Trinity where God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are mentioned, like in the same verse, you can point them to the Great Commission. This is it. And what Jesus tells them at the end of Matthew isn't go into all the world and make converts. It's not go into all the world and make faithful church attendees. It's not go into the world and teach people what they don't need to do. It's go into the world and make disciples of Jesus. And as we make disciples of Jesus, we are baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what's not on the screen, but what happens right next is, as they are baptized, then they are taught all the things that they need to know about God. Because it's through us being baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we now have the agent of the Spirit living in us, so it's easier for us to learn all the things that God is trying to teach us in life. In Luke chapter 24, it says this, beginning in verse 44. It says, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins, of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I want you to see verse 49. I am going to send you what my father has promised. So stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Say power. What Luke wants you to know is the Holy Spirit is bringing power, that the Holy Spirit is here to empower. It's a big part of Luke as he writes Luke and as he writes Acts. I want you just to look at what says in verse 49. Jesus tells people who have just experienced the risen Lord that they just need to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of God, which is the Spirit of God coming on their life. They are probably ready at this point to do anything Jesus wants them to do. 
We know you're alive. We believe in you even through our doubts. Tell us to do something. Give us an assignment. Yet when you open up the book of Acts, and this isn't on the screen this morning, when you open up the book of Acts, which is a book of a lot of people acting through the Spirit, the first command in the book of Acts isn't to go and do anything. The first command in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, which is to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. And the reason Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2, it's not because there was good, compelling preaching. It's because there was preaching that flowed from an anointing of the Holy Spirit that came upon leaders. The reason the church grew and spread isn't because the church did fellowship really well. It's because the church lived from an overflow of the Spirit of God filling the lives of people and the church. The reason that the church was able to break down racial and ethnic barriers isn't because they came up with great strategies of how to do it. It's because they were operating from the Holy Spirit filling their lives. So I want you just to see on the screen, if you go to this next one, the three people in the Bible who talk the most about the Holy Spirit, it's the Gospel of John, John does. And if you want to go and read three chapters in, in your Bible where Jesus talks more about the Holy Spirit than anywhere else, go read John chapter 14 through 16. I'll reference a few verses in those three chapters today. Paul talks quite a bit about the Holy Spirit, and Luke, in Luke and in Acts, talks quite a bit about the Spirit. And they do it a little differently. So hopefully you can see this on the screen, and hopefully online you can see this. But the way John, the way he is referencing how Jesus talked about the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a continuation of the presence of Jesus with people. I probably could have just put the word relationship on there. That the way Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16 is the Holy Spirit desires a relationship with you. So uh, words Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit is uh, things like counselor, advocate, uh, teacher, helper. The way Paul talks about the Holy Spirit creates in us the character of Christ and equips us for works of ministry. So Paul is the one who's going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, about the character of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is transforming us into Christ's image. Luke, on the other hand, the way Luke talks about the Holy Spirit, it gives power to move into unknown and uncertain areas in our city and in the world. So with Luke, often when the Holy Spirit shows up somewhere, it's not just to transform a person, it's to move people into a new area where the Holy Spirit is spreading. So when you look at just the three of those, the way John talks about the Holy Spirit is comforting. The way Paul talks about the Holy Spirit is transforming. The way Luke talks about the Holy Spirit is unsettling. Because the way Luke talks about the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit invades your life, comes into your life, fills your life, things move. God shakes things up. God's breaking down barriers. God may not be uprooting the church from their city, but he's asking the church to go and permeate a city with the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit is moving people throughout the world. Now, churches of Christ are a part of the restoration movement, and for the most part, we haven't been the best at talking about the Holy Spirit. We're not real sure what to do with the Spirit. It's more experiential sometimes than it is something you can understand in your head. Uh, I, the way I've heard it described before is like the Holy Spirit's like that crazy uncle who you run into a couple of times a year and you're not what, real sure what to do when you're around him. May make you a little nervous. You're not sure how to describe him to your friends. 
But just in, in case crazy uncle becomes a billionaire one day, you want to be in that circle, right? If crazy uncle lives in Hernando and you're going through Hernando and you have a flat tire, you want to have at least a good enough relationship with uncle that you can reach out if you're in need of help. There have been five meaningful books in my life on the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you the cover to all five of these. And here's why I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you the cover to all five of these because I want you to see the title of them. This is not the best way for you to read a book. You shouldn't just read a book because the title is great. But I want to show you the five of these. And I've, written, I've read books from people who span the spectrum of the Christian faith. So some may be more charismatic, some are more conservative in theology. So the first one I want you to see is Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Simbola about 25 years ago. And the reason he wrote this book is that he's, he tells you that the first few decades of his life, which a few of those years were uh, years when he was in public ministry, pastoral ministry, he really had no concept of the Holy Spirit at all. And what happened in his life is as he began to study the Holy Spirit, he began to be introduced into the power of God in new and fresh ways that has opened up this prayer meeting every Tuesday night that's met now for over 40 years. And the way he talks about the Spirit or came to know the Spirit was there was this fresh move of God in his life. Maybe the most practical book I've read is Tony Evans' his book on the Holy Spirit just called The Promise. And this is based on the promise of God in Acts 2.38 that when we repent and we're baptized, we will receive the Spirit of God. And I want you really to see the next three books that I'm going to show you and what the titles are. One is by Jack Deere, and his book is called A Surprise by the Power of the Spirit. He was a theologian working at a conservative seminary in Texas. He had some experiences with God that sent him on a journey of coming to an understanding of the Spirit that was no longer allowed in the seminary where he taught. So this is written from more of an academic point of view. He goes deep into Scripture, but the whole concept of surprised by the Spirit is why some of us have stayed away from the Spirit. We don't like to be surprised in church. The next book I want you to see is written by Francis Chan. It's called Forgotten God. And what he talks about is the forgotten part of the Trinity for many of us has been the Spirit. We, we have a concept of God the Creator and God the Father, a concept of Jesus the Lord, Jesus the Savior, and sometimes not real sure what to do about the Spirit. And the last one I want you to see uh, is uh, written by Robert Morris, a megachurch pastor in Dallas. And he wrote a book, The God I Never Knew. And it was his journey of understanding the Holy Spirit in deeper ways. Now, here's my chance to do a breakdown of Churches of Christ of like the last 150 years, all right? And this isn't just true of Churches of Christ. There are other branches of Christianity in America that would uh, fall under what I'm, how I'm about to explain this. In the last 150 years, we are a part of a movement that has been greatly impacted by the Enlightenment. It was about reason, reasoning, it was about arguments in your head, arguments of faith, and converting people through having better arguments and debate, in a healthy way, debate people into the kingdom of God. But there was not much room for experience. And over the last 150 years, 
There were revivals that began to take off in California and all the way, I mean, coast to coast where people were having these experiences with God, which launched what we now know as the Pentecostal movement or the charismatic movement, where people have these experiences with God that are hard to explain or reason. So we are a part of a movement that around 100 years ago, it's almost like what we said was, hey, we're going to take God the Father and God the Creator. We're going to continue to teach, preach, and elevate Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Son, Jesus the Lord, and we'll just hold on to just enough of the Holy Spirit that we can say we believe in the Trinity instead of sitting down at a table with other people and trying to talk and discern about what the Trinity means for our life, for the church, and for the world. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> what's, so what has happened is what many of us have experienced growing up in our churches where we're not real sure what to do with the Spirit. So I had a person who met me at the water fountain probably 12 years ago. And this was a woman in her 70s. And she met me at the water fountain and she said this, Josh, one day will you do a series on the Holy Spirit? And almost word for word, this is what she said. Because I no longer believe what I was taught about the Spirit growing up, but I don't know what to replace it with. So back in 2013, I did a 20-week series on the Holy Spirit where I read these books, read Scripture, and tried to help us just have a working, not a perfect understanding, but a working understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So here's what I want to do, for, and I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. I want to talk about nine truths and benefits from our relationship and friendship with the Holy Spirit. All right, and let me tell you how I'm going to do this, all right, because I'm not going to be able to fit all nine on one slide, but I'm going to go through them one by one, and there's going to be a moment where there will be five of them on the screen at the same time. So if you want to take a picture of those five, go for it. It's going to have scriptures, but we're not going to have time this morning to go through all these scriptures. Then I'm going to go through six, seven, eight, and nine, so you'll have six, seven, eight, and nine that will be on another slide. Does that make sense? And then you can take a picture. And right now, I'm, I've asked Jim Hinkle if he will drop all nine of these in the comment section on Facebook so that those of you online today, it may be hard to see what's on the screen. Look in the comment section, and all nine of these will be right there. All right, let's go through them. Nine truths and benefits from our relationship and friendship with the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. The Holy Spirit is our comforter and advocate. It comes straight from Jesus. Uh, in some of your versions, it may say Helper. But it says, Jesus wants you to know the Holy Spirit is for you. The Holy Spirit is going to bat for you. This has given me a way to pray, especially when I'm in hospitals and with people who are hurting. As I pray for comfort upon people, what I am praying for is for the Holy Spirit, who is defined by Jesus as the comforter and advocate that the Holy Spirit will be near people. The second one I want you to know is convicting, convict comes straight from John chapter 16, where what Jesus says is the Holy Spirit's going to come, and the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of three things. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And all these are for your good. Right, and for the people of God, you do not have to be afraid of any of these things. As Jesus is convicting you or the Spirit's convicting you of sin, it is for your own righteousness, convicting you of righteousness, so you pursue God in deeper ways, convicting you of judgment, because God's judgment is actually a really good thing for the world, because God's judgment is what sets the world right. So in those moments when you click on a website you know you shouldn't click on, 
or engage in a form of gossip you know you shouldn't be a part of, yet you felt that wrestling in your head or in your spirit before you did, it's the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's the Holy Spirit who's bringing conviction in your life. The third thing I want you to see is counselor. A couple of times in John 14 through 16, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a counselor. And this has been helpful for me in my life, for Casey and me. Casey and I, over the last uh, 12, 15 years, we have both gone to see a therapist. We have both gone to see a counselor. Part of this is the encouragement by my mother, who's been a counselor for over 20 years, that we no longer uh, saw being a counselor as a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. And it was a better understanding of the Holy Spirit. So we knew when we go to a therapist, when we go to a counselor, we are putting ourselves at the feet of somebody who in a way is functioning in a role where the Holy Spirit is working. So if you are afraid today of seeing a counselor, either because you're afraid of, it's because of your ego, your pride, or fear, don't neglect a way the Holy Spirit may want to counsel you in your life. Number four is this, it's gifts. And Paul's the one who talks about this in Romans and Hebrews and 1 Corinthians. And the way I like to describe this is God does not waste a salvation. That there is no one God saves that God does not intend to use in some way. There is no one Jesus saves that Jesus doesn't want to gift through the Holy Spirit in a way that will benefit the kingdom and bless the world. You may feel like you have nothing to offer the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit thinks differently. So the Holy Spirit is at work to transform your life and to give you a gift. Will you open the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you so that the Holy Spirit can bring it to life? Number five is fruit. That is the Holy Spirit fills a person and fills a church. Fruit should come from that. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, you have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That for someone who's invaded by the Spirit of God, there should be fruit that comes from your life that bears witness to the greatness of Jesus in your life. Those are the first five. Number six is this. It's revealed mysteries. There's this moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it goes on for about seven verses, but there's one verse in there where it says this. The Holy Spirit knows the deep places of God's heart, and the Spirit reveals those places to you. The Holy Spirit knows the deep places of the heart of God. So if you care to go deeper in the heart of God, the Holy Spirit is your way to get there. The Holy Spirit knows the mysteries of God, the deep places in the heart of God, and the Holy Spirit wants to make them known to you. So maybe what you need to hear in your own life is that your prayer life is not a matter of you having the ability to pray, but maybe the availability to be in the presence of God so the Holy Spirit can work. It's not just your ability to do things for God, but your availability to receive from God. Those deep places in the heart of God that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. Number seven is intercession. In Romans chapter eight, probably my favorite chapter in all of the Bible, you get a couple of verses where it says this, that there are times you don't know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groans that you cannot express. So there are those moments in prayer where you don't even know how to articulate something to God. So all we offer up are our tears or a cry or a groan. And according to Romans chapter 8, heaven knows exactly what to do with those groans that we offer up because the Holy Spirit is able to take that and form it into a prayer that is a sweet fragrance in heaven. 
So the Holy Spirit is interceding for, for you in ways that you may not even know. Number eight is freedom. The Holy Spirit wants to set people free. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the very next verse is, For the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of life, is setting you free from sin and death. So the Holy Spirit is here to break chains and to set you free in Christ. And number nine is the word power. And you see this, especially in Luke, because Luke wants people to know that the Spirit comes in power and that the Holy Spirit is here to empower. So in Acts chapter 2, it's not compelling preaching and just good preaching that grows the church. It's the Holy Spirit invading the preacher. So if you were to ask me today, Josh, what can I pray for you? I may ask you to pray for my joy, but based on what God has reminded me of in the last 36 hours, I need to be asking people to pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if there's no filling of the Spirit, I don't need to be up here preaching. And the way that book of Acts works, in Acts chapter 6, you get this moment when uh, there are, there's, there's a food crisis. So apparently there's some people going hungry. A little bit of it's because of racism, because of classism. There's some people who are going hungry and other people who are being fed well. It's a crisis in the church. So here's what they do. They decide, hey, we need to raise up a few leaders who can help us fix this and get through it. But the, the apostles said, but we needed to vote out, we need to devote our time to preaching and to prayer, but we need to raise up a few others who can do it. So they came up with a job description. And the job description was whoever does this task, they need to be people who are full of the spirit and full of wisdom to feed bellies. They need to be people full of the spirit to feed bellies. So maybe our prayer for Kim Chapman and Sue Petrie and Doyle Bradshaw and Randy Lillard and Darren Ruddy and I know I'm going to miss a few who help feed our homeless every other Wednesday night. Maybe our prayer for them doesn't just need to be that God will help them to be people of compassion, but that God will fill them with the Spirit of God as they help feed people who are in need of food. That maybe our prayer for our monthly grocery giveaway that gives food to over 120 Households. Maybe our prayer isn't just that Terry and Jeff Cousins and, and, and Jan and others who help out on those Saturday mornings, not just that they will be patient and kind, but maybe our prayer needs to be that God will fill them with the Holy Spirit. That as we even try, our prayer for agape and hope works and these efforts that are trying to tend to the poor in our city and under-resourced, maybe our prayer isn't just that God will make them into people of compassion, but in alignment with Acts chapter 6, our prayer is that God would fill them with the Holy Spirit as they fulfill the task God has them doing. In Acts chapter 8, there's a moment where someone is baptized. The moment they're baptized, the apostles take off to Samaria because they know in the moment, this baptism, they need to know about the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 9 is when the Holy Spirit comes into Saul that scales fall from his eyes. So now he's able to see that Gentiles have been invited into the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 10, it takes the Holy, it takes the Holy Spirit to intercede in Peter's life for Peter to see that Gentiles have now been grafted into the family of God. It is when the Holy Spirit fills the the church the racist boundaries break in the book of the in, in the book of acts if jesus thinks so much of the holy spirit to in john chapter 16 verse 7 what jesus says is it is to your advantage that i go away and for the spirit to come if jesus thinks that much of the spirit that it is to our advantage do we think that much of the spirit too 
If I were to ask you, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? I don't know how you would respond, but here are three verses I want to give you. And one comes straight from Jesus in Luke chapter 11, in verse 13. And in Luke 11, verse 13, what it says is, and this is, this is straight from Christ. <clears throat> it says, if you, though you were evil, and I, and I want you to hear that tongue in cheek, all right? Jesus isn't just coming down hard on people, all right? If you then, though you are evil, know how to get, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In Luke chapter 11, this is a place where the disciples come to Jesus, and the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus begins by giving them the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. And he ends that section with this verse right here, talking to his disciples, ask God for it. This past week, I've asked a number of people who I know closely. I've asked them, uh, how often do you pray for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? And this isn't a prayer of like an indictment. I'm just curious. And hardly anyone I talk to regularly prays a prayer for God to fill them with the Spirit. The second one I want to show you is in Acts chapter 2. Right in verse 38, this is the, the day of Pentecost, and there is this promise. This is Peter, like people are convicted and Peter says, Here, repent, be baptized, all of you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or, or in the name of Christ. And, and the promise is that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit are a promise from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And the response is 3,000 people were baptized that day. And the last one I want you to see is in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is writing to the church. I need you to hear that. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have already been baptized... They've already confessed Christ. They've already entered into relationship with God. And what he writes to them is, hey, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit of God. It's a command. Like, you need to be asking God to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the way I try to encourage people to think about this is, until you are fully under the influence of the Spirit of God in your life, you need to be asking for the Spirit of God to fill your life. You want the Spirit of God in your life? We believe in conversion, and in baptism, we are given the gift. You want more of the Spirit in your life? According to Jesus in Luke 11, you ask your Father for it. According to Paul in Ephesians 5, none of us outgrow or outlive the need for us to ask God to fill us with more of the Spirit of God. It is a lifelong pursuit for us to be consumed by the Spirit of Christ, to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit's presence and power in our life is not to make you great. It's to make Jesus great in you. It's to make Jesus great in the church. So I want you to see this final slide. It's going to stay up there during communion. I know we have some guests in the room. And here in this church, we have six tables. And you'll see people who begin to move here in just a moment to the table. And you're invited to a table to take the bread and to take the cup. And if you choose to go sit in your pew and have a moment with God, great. If you choose to pray with other people in an aisle or in the back of the room, inside of the room, great. This is a moment that we just create some space for us to be with God and to be with each other. But I want you to reflect on two things. One is what Jesus says about the Spirit in the Gospel of John. Of the Spirit glorifies me. And that Jesus tells the Spirit what the Spirit needs to make known to us. In the cross, through the cross, Jesus was glorified and the Holy Spirit was fully present in that moment. 
And the Holy Spirit is able to take death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the glorification of Christ to make known to us the things of God. And at some point as you take the bread and the cup today, will you be reminded of Ephesians 5 and make this your request today that God fill me and fill us with your Holy Spirit. This morning we will have Lance, one of our shepherds, up front. Willie Thomas will be in the back. Casey and Kim Chapman, two of our prayer leaders, will be on the sides. I'll be to the left. And if you're here in the room today or even online today, and maybe you have never made a decision for Christ, yet there's something that's happened in our worship service that has revealed to you how compelling and how good Jesus is, it's the Holy Spirit working in your life. And if there's any way we can help you answer the call of what the Spirit is doing in your life, we would love to receive you. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. And if there's any way we can help you, we can pray for you. You have a room of prayer warriors around this room. And here over the next few minutes as we take communion and we commune with God and with each other, may the Holy Spirit fill us. Will you close your eyes, bow your heads? For God, especially on a day like this, when I feel like I have covered so much, my prayer is that if I have said anything that does not honor your character and nature, may those words fall to the ground, be trampled by your feet, and not be remembered at all. But if I have spoken words that are true, I pray that those words will sink deep into our hearts and that they will bear great fruit throughout this week. God, I'm reminded in Proverbs chapter 17, and this has been pressed heavy on my heart, is that words carry life and death. And may the words of my mouth today and may the words of this church throughout this week bring life and not death to a world around us. And to our dying day, may we never stop asking to be filled with more of your spirit for the sake of our own transformation and for the sake of the world. And Jesus, all this is because of you you have set it all in motion. So send your spirit into our lives to energize us, to call us into mission, to give us your peace, to be that comforter for us. And for all you have done for us, to even have a moment like this, we give you thanks in and through the name of Jesus. And the whole church said, amen. Welcome to the table this morning.